0: Hello, hello, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, the Miami Heat podcast for the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team and quite a bit of news this time around as Miami had a 4-0 week to improve their record to 5-1. and So where we last left off was we had just lost in an overtime game to the Indiana Pacers uh, after a strong first night against the Bucks. So 1-1 and at the time, uh, that second game was also a little bit odd because we were without Kyle Lowry. So it kind of became a question of like, okay, well, we see how how low this team could be without Kyle Lowry. We saw how high they could be against the Bucks. What's it like once we have a little bit more consistency? And yeah, sure enough, Kyle Lowry played all four games this week. The Heat won all four games. So they are still perfect with Kyle Lowry in the lineup. And the interesting thing about what's been going on with Lowry so far is is more so like what he's done as like a support piece or being like a more so a glue guy trying to fit in and help other players shine a little bit more and we'll we'll see some of the effects of that as we get more um into like the game by game breakdowns but yeah that's just kind of like a consistent thing um so you kind of can almost seem to fall into the background at times because of that because he's yet to really bust out in like an offensive capacity yet he's just been hustling hard on defense and setting up others on offense so from one Kyle to another, it's been fantastic play. But let's first just jump into the games. So first off, uh, to start off the week, Miami hosted the Magic on a Monday. That was the game they won 107-90. to 90. Uh, Quick recap. The Heat, they built a strong lead in the first quarter, meaning by as much as 12 going into the second. They pushed that lead to almost 20. They got to like 19 a few times in the second before eventually kind of settle, settling back down to just up 13 at halftime. So still double-digit lead. The Magic... Did push back a little bit and got it to as little as 6 early in the third quarter. But then Jimmy Butler just took over completely, pushed it back up to 11 going into the fourth. And then the Heat just kind of cruised from there, pushing the lead almost as much to 20 to close out the game. And yeah, Jimmy Butler, definitely the story of that one. Absolutely went off 36 points on 15 of 21 from the field. Shot no threes at all. Doesn't even need them. Because he's also doing 6-6 six six from the line. Butler absolutely took over the third quarter. Pretty much got wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and got almost whatever shot he wanted. And yeah, it was the big difference uh, between Miami potentially blowing a game against the Magic, which is something that they typically like to do. But not this year, because this team seems quite different. Hero was a little limited in this game after a scorching hot performances in the first two. He like it definitely seemed like immediately defenses were starting to key in on him a little bit more like oh okay all right the Tyler here looks a little bit like he was in year 1 versus year 2 just um just kind of shut that down. So he was only limited to 13 points unfortunately on 5 of 12 from the field, uh, 1 of 3 from 3, 2 2 from the line at least. So was, uh, at least got to the line. However, big difference was is Tyler here made up for that by getting a team high nine assists. And ended up with also a team high plus 19 and plus minus, in large part because as a playmaker, uh, he just did an absolutely phenomenal job finding people like, okay, the defenses are going to now start to key in on him. He's improved as a playmaker now to the point where it's like, okay, cool, I get double teams, or I get people looking my way or trying to come over for help, make the pass, set up teammates. And that was evident in the game against the Magic. Overall, though, this was a game Miami was expected to win. Uh, Orlando is still very clearly rebuilding this year, while Miami has title aspirations. So even with the whole Magic, for some reason, tend to have the Heat's number the last few years. Maybe I think that had more to do with Vucevic, maybe, but uh, or Fournier. But Miami won this game handily, and moving on from there to the game against the Brooklyn Nets, which are one of the other favorites in the East. This is still a Brooklyn's Nets that was without Kyrie Irving. And, you know, James Harden not looking too great. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. But this was still a game Miami won, 106-93. to 93. Um, Notice that the opponents have yet to break 100 yet. So this was a tight first quarter, though. The Heat pulled away about 7 to, you know, take a lead going into the second. However, the second quarter was one where James Harden actually came alive and started looking like, you know, the scoring machine that we've come to know Harden to be for the last 5, 6-plus years. Uh, he did help power the Nets to a two-point lead going into halftime, and then a strong third quarter, just good performances kind of all around, had the Heat back up seven going into the fourth, and then they were just able to hold that lead and then pushed, kept pushing it up to as high as 15 with a minute 30 left with a P.J. Tucker three to close out the game. This was a game that was like definitely more of a group scoring effort. We had uh, five double-digit scorers in that game, and where we really, like, shown was on the boards where Miami out-rebounded the Nets 62 to 42, so plus 20 in rebounds. And uh, 17 of those, 62 were offensive specifically. So when you have, like, rebounding at that much of an advantage, like, I know there are, there are definitely good arguments where rebounding isn't, like, a, a great predictor of winning. So, you know, like, if you're... I, I tend to find that true if it's down to, like, you know, 4 or 5... Maybe even almost as much as ten, um, but when it's like a twenty difference margin, just that's just so many more possessions that that's going to. Again, it's not like an end all. Like if you if you beat somebody by twenty, you're automatically going to win. It's not like that. Like like say if you shot twenty more threes than your opponent, then yeah, you're going to win the game. But I guess like if you were to try to equate that, then plus twenty on the boards would be something maybe like uh, I think it would be like plus four. Five on threes like it's still good but there are other ways that you could lose the game however in this case it was absolutely vital for what miami needed to do to win the game because they pretty much like dominated the possession battle in large part because of the rebounding because they were not very efficient offensively they just had so much more opportunities in the nets and then on the other end they were able to hold the nets to pretty bad efficiency because no Irving. And Harden, outside of some flashes in the second quarter, was not really given them much. I think he finished with like 14 points or something like that. Durant was really the only threat, and if you can key in on just that, Miami is a good enough defensive team to take care of that. Still, kind of like with the Bucs, um, one, there's a bit of a big asterisk on this because this team could look much better. Uh, Come playoff time, James Harden, maybe he gets fully rehabbed and, you know, gets over sulking because now he's not drawing fouls as easily as he was before and just gets back to being, you know, just a scorer and playmaker, which I think is like really what the the Nets do need him to be, more so the playmaking part. And there's no need for the foul baiting in the playmaking part. But regardless, if Harden's back to what we expect him to be come playoff time, even that alone would definitely make the Nets a threat. And then, say, something happens on the Irving situation, the Nets could be a much different team, say, like in a playoff scenario, which, again, is, uh, what, six months away from now. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, the two favorites in the East, though currently hobbled, the Miami Heat absolutely handled. So, at the very least, they're doing what they should if they should, like, legitimately be a title contender. They should be able to take care of opponents that are not at 100%, which is an unfortunate reality of what it... Sometimes has to be in the playoffs. But moving on, up next, the Heat hosted the Hornets on Friday. It was a game that they won 114-99. to Again, if you had to give up 100 so far. Uh, a game that they absolutely crushed the Hornets in the first half, just all over. They had a lead as high as 26 before halftime. So there's not really too much you can take away from that outside of just, again, they just bludgeoned them. The Hornets, to their credit, did rally in the third quarter. They had uh, outscored Miami 29 to 20. So a little bit of Miami not making shots, a little bit of the Hornets' defense, and then pushing in transition. Uh, so, you know, good play on both ends by them to cut the lead down nine going into the fourth. However, at the start of the fourth quarter, Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo came back in, and they helped to steadily push Miami's lead back up to 15 to close the game. And all credit to the Hornets for getting back into this game. They're a young team that definitely seems like they're poised to try to do almost like an Atlanta Hawks esque run, or at least they're going to attempt to try. That's a leap they want to take this year, anyway. So they came in with aggression and were able to push it back. However, Miami, looking like, again, a better team, took that hit, held it down, and then pushed that lead back up the double digits to close it out. And this was also a game that Miami looked strong on the boards. Again, they out-rebounded the Hornets 60 to 37, so t- by 23 in this one. Again, go into the whole like possessions and uh, also the other part about that is also ca- that kind of feeds into defense as well. So, phrase goes like defense doesn't end until you get the rebound because at that point you are now back on offense. So, with that, it just again all is just limits your opponent's possessions and make sure it gives you more this is another game that jimmy butler absolutely went off 32 points of 12 of 19 from the field one of three from three so a rare jimmy butler three point shot and seven seven from the line also threw in just 10 rebounds for a double double and five assists tyler hero also did well in the scoring department 26 points on 9 of 13 four of six from three so there's some good shooting by hero and a perfect four four from the line also putting in five rebounds uh six assists but bam had the monster game 26 points on 10 of 16 from the field no threes because he doesn't need them a perfect six of six from the line but 19 rebounds almost got to a 2020 20. and uh two assists also with his you know usual dominating defense the only other thing a note really that i've found from this game was Max Struess ended up in the closing lineup instead of Duncan Robinson, just because Robinson, the struggles were continuing. He went uh, 2-11 from 3 in this game, uh, but maybe we can get some good news in the next game about Duncan Robinson. The next game was the very next day, I, back-to-back, at the Memphis Grizzlies. However, this was also a game that Miami just absolutely dominated. Uh, 129-103, to in a game where quite honestly it felt like everything was kind of like stacked against Miami at least relative to how they had been the last few years so usually you think go it's back to back it's at somebody's place you have to fly across the country get in really late this is a young athletic team with um a John Morant who was like one either leading or near the top of the league in points per game just because of his relentless athleticism and these kind of athletic guards have tended to give Miami fits in the last few seasons. Plus, Bam Adebayo would end up sitting this game with like a left knee bruise. It's still early in the season. It, it's a second out of a back-to-back. It's a good call, and a, probably the kind of thing we're going to see frequently with like these back-to-backs. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just like, okay, we're going to rest a player here or there. Any sort of like small injury concerns, especially to Miami's core rotation players, they're probably going to get these off. But... For that night, Bam was sitting. So, yeah, include the opponent, the conditions, and then the detriments with Bam having to sit. I probably would have thought this was a game Miami would have lost, but no, 129-103. to 103, Absolutely just blew them out. Um, in place of Bam bio, Dwayne Dedman started, and kind of like filling in that rotation spot for Dedman ended up being Caleb Martin, who admittedly I didn't talk about in the season preview because he was one of Miami's two-way contracts. I didn't think... I would need to too much, but I might have to uh, it's because, as we'll discuss a little bit later on, he's probably gonna be part of the rotation going forward. anyway, the key for Miami in this game was just that their offense, their especially their shooting, finally broke out. So most of the games, like even though Miami had won they were four and one up to this point. A lot of those games were more so just really crushing defense. Oh, side note, this was the first time that you saw an opponent score over 100 points outside of the um, overtime game against Indiana. But still, Miami was absolutely crushing opponents with defense and just out-rebounding them to the point that they had so many more opportunities that they were just able to get more shots up because their shooting had not really been that great. I mean, we talked about the struggles that Duncan Robinson had quite frequently, for example. But Saturday night, they finally fell. And the Heat definitely leaned into them to take a 16-point first-quarter lead. They pushed it as high as 19 in the second, but then the Grizzlies, actually to their credit being a good young team, pushed it back actually down to 13, so they outscored Miami in the second quarter. Um, So they had some momentum going into halftime. (laughs) However, he opened up the third quarter on a quick 8-0 run. That was pretty much it. They pushed the lead as high up as 23 as they went into the fourth quarter never got close not even to under 10 and all seemed well until max streus got injured pretty much like right before he would have been taken out and yeah that's a definite blow to miami's at least like part of their bench Struess had done a phenomenal job kind of like in almost like a duncan light role coming off the bench where you know the whole thing is play defense hard and then run around on offense provide spacing and once you get the ball just shoot confidently It was a big reason why the the previous night against the the Hornets, when Robinson looked like he was struggling with his shot, that Strews was the one that ended up being in the the closing lineup because he still filled a similar role. He was just shooting more confidently because, yeah, Friday night you can just kind of see it in Duncan's head, unfortunately. Speaking of, though, Duncan Robinson um, showed some signs of busting out of his slump, went 5 of 10 from 3 for 15 points, looked more comfortable, and hopefully it's something he can build upon so uh, to, to finish up with Max Jones real quick, as of this recording right now, uh, he looks like he has like a left knee sprain. He'll be out for two or three weeks, I think I saw from some of the reports. Like, essentially, it's, you know, let's take our time. It's still, again, early in the season, and we don't need to rush back a um, bench rotation type player so quickly. There are other options. That's why, like, for example, Caleb Martin, uh, who can kind of like, maybe he's not as good a shooter, but he can still fill in just uh, part of the rotation until Struce is ready to go back at 100%. To finish up the Grizzlies game, though, uh, this was also one where Miami outrebounded the Grizzlies 50 to 32. They were just absolutely raining in threes. All of the starters got at least one three, which in, of which Miami ended up going 21 of 37. On the night for 57%, so yeah, really hard to beat a team when they're shooting 57% from three. Uh, Lowry busted out fi- uh, finally on offense as well, 15 points on five of eight from the field, four of five from three, one of one from the line, five rebounds and eight assists. So yeah, if it, if he's starting to bust out offensively finally, and Robinson's starting to bust out offensively finally, um, we can more than than wait until Max Struess is ready and go to, at 100% because, yeah, add that in to the fact that we also didn't have Bam Adebayo in this game, so that can only improve as well. And we still haven't seen this team, like, firing on all cylinders yet. Oh, and, yeah, Jimmy Butler just, you know, 27 points on 8 of 12 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, so he's starting to bust out the the 3 a little bit more, and 10 11 from the line, 5 rebounds, 7 assists. So, yeah, it almost seems mundane. Oh, Butler, you didn't even break 30 this time okay, I guess you, you want to relax a little bit this week. And that's the game recap, a 4-0 week for the Miami Heat. So with six of a long 82-game season uh, under the belt, let's continue to look at some early season trends. So I think that for this one, I wanted to actually break it more into trying to highlight three specific players that have just been playing phenomenally for Miami to start the season. The first of which is Bam Adebayo. So, kind of like how the Heat have yet to lose a game without Kyle Lowry, the Heat have also yet to give up 100 points with Bam Adebayo in the lineup. The Again, the only exception, sorry, but the only exception, one being overtime against the Indiana Pacers, which was also without Kyle Lowry, so that... And that's obviously a detriment to the defense there. And then the other was uh, the Grizzlies, where they were without Bam Adebayo in the first place. And the reason for Kyle Lowry again, being so important is just because now Bam doesn't have to switch out to the perimeter so often. And also helps that, like, both Tyler uh, Hero and Duncan Robinson are improved. So he doubly doesn't have to switch out to the perimeter so often. And that allows him to just kind of roam around the paint and just increase the area through which he can affect. So like for example, if he's up at the perimeter, because uh, he had to guard uh, somebody that had to switch and then guard somebody that then dragged him up near the top of the perimeter, and there's something going on baseline, there's nothing Bam can do about that. He's a freak athlete, but even he can't recover quick enough to um, help out. Like if somebody drives baseline for like an easy shot at the rim, so now that he doesn't have to switch out to the perimeter, he can get like he's always always able to get into the play on defense now and that's going to make opposing players second guess and it has worked to great effect not only for him defending plays so like for example he's um as a defender he is holding opponents pretty much in all areas of the floor to minus double digits in field goal percentage so like imagine a player that no matter where he shot on the floor whether you know it's like right at the rim uh in the mid-range or out at three there's just a hypothetical example Say so no matter where he shot from he shot 50 percent. it was just a weird anomaly of a player uh, what that means is like you put banam out of bio as a defender on him and now each of those drops at least to 40 percent, no matter where that player is shooting from this is still with a small sample size but the the size of the numbers is still pretty damn big Overall, he's holding opponents minus 24% on their field goal percentage, which is not sustainable, but goes to show that, yeah, you really don't want to be defended by Bam Adebayo. And in addition, because he is also near, much more closer to the paint and the rim, he's been able to be a much more impactful defensive rebounder, averaging double-digit defensive rebounds specifically at 11.2. So, again, it's kind of like before where... If Bam's getting pulled all the way out to like the top of the perimeter, it's going to be a lot harder for him to get inside and get to even the rebound, let alone have good positioning for it. Now that he's already roaming closer to the paint, it's much easier for him to set a position and either get the rebound or box out for somebody else, which is how you out-rebound teams by like 20 like they've been doing for the last week. And all that and specifically Bam have been a big reason why Miami has been arguably... I would actually argue, the best defense to start out the uh, the first month of October. They're first in defensive rating, defensive rebounding, and defensive rebounding percentage, while also top five in opponents' points off turnovers, opponents' second chance points, which is where the rebounding comes in, and opponent points in the paint, which is kind of where Bam kind of uh, factors in there. I'm focusing so much on defense just because I do think Bam Adebayo legitimately can make a case for Defensive Player of the Year, and so far through the at least the month of October, he looks like it. Up next is Tyler Hero, Miami sixth man, who has cooled off a little bit from thirty points per game, uh, understandable, to uh, twenty-two points per game, which is still phenomenally good. It's still over twenty, but like I mentioned earlier, it seems like defenses like he's starting to show up more in the scouting reports now. So defenses are starting to key in on him, and so he's started to make that up, uh, make up the difference. In other areas, such as more so on the boards, where he's averaging career-high 6.5, and playmaking, where he's averaging career-high 4.5, which the playmaking part is great because, yeah, we all at this point know Tyler Hero is here to get buckets uh, from all over the court. He's three-point shots looking good. Where like, again, it's through only six games right now, but he's still averaging a uh, career-high of volume at 7.2 attempts per game and percentage at 39.5. So he's shooting really great, which means defenses have to come up on him. And to his credit, he's actually finding those passing lanes better and getting uh, other teammates in good spots to make scores off of the defense trying to just focus on Tyler Hero. But make no mistake, if the defense is then trying to get a little lax, Hero's been absolutely making them pay. The, the confidence looks there and just like, the drive to just constantly be looking for ways to score looks pretty evident as well, and almost as importantly, hero's looked a good bit better on defense. I won't necessarily call him good quite yet, but it's definitely looking more neutral. Looks like he's staying in position a little bit more. His rotations look a little bit better. Uh, overall, I'm impressed because again, if if hero can get at least just as close to more so sort than of neutral, he's such a positive on the offensive end. That that's gonna make him a really great uh, overall player. At the beginning of the season, I said that like in a best case scenario, I think Tyler Hero could get some votes for six man of the year. Uh, at this point, like if the season ended now, he would have definitely gotten at least some votes, if not maybe won it. So for that award, for like I guess we'll have like maybe like an award watch or something if this season really goes that great. But yeah. Bam Adebayo has already started a good case for Defensive Player of the Year, and Tyler Hero has also started a good case for Sixth Man of the Year. Saving the best for last, though, it's Jim VP, Jimmy G. Buckets. The G stands for Gets, because that's what he got last week. He's so far averaging 25 points a game this season, 7 rebounds, 5.5 assists, and 2.8 steals. To take a quick side note, just to praise Kyle Lowry for a moment, this is why you get a player like Kyle Lowry... Because it allows Jimmy Butler to be the best version of himself. So what I mean by that is like, so for example, 5.5 assists for Jimmy Butler is actually a little bit on the low end compared to what he's usually averaged for the heat. It would actually be a, a low for him in a heat uniform. But the reason for that is because with Kyle Lowry able to handle the ball more on the perimeter and help do the setting up, Butler's been able to just focus more so on being a scorer which is why he's up to 25 points per game and pretty much getting to the line at will despite the changes to the foul uh, calling rules. Probably because Butler didn't rely upon those kinds of methods in the first place to get fouls. Regardless, he's getting to the line, he's getting to the rim, he's getting to the mid-range, and he's even starting to flash a little bit of of the three. And that's just on the offensive end. On the defensive end as well, because Kyle Lowry can be a little bit more of like that point of attack defender that the Heat have also lacked for the last few years, it's let Butler kind of be a bit more of a roamer. He's more of an off-ball defender at that point. And then he could just pick apart the passing lanes, which is why he's at 2.8 steals right now. And a lot of those steals are more so like he pokes it out in front, catches up to it, or pokes it out somebody else, and it's an easy transition bucket defense to offense like that is probably like the best way to sum up Jimmy Butler as a player. And it's showing in some of the advanced stats, again, caveat, this is early in the season, but yeah, so far Jimmy Butler has been crushing it on both ends of the floor, like in a box plus minus perspective, which just kind of tries to gauge how impactful you are on the offensive and defensive end. Obviously you want those values as high as possible Uh, on the defensive end. He's leading lead at 6.0. And then just saying overall where he combined defensive and offensive uh, offensive, he's at 5.2, so that combines for 11.2 overall. So just from like that perspective, it's kind of showing he's not a like traditional type of superstar player. We think of in the sense of, you know, just score a ton like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic. He's just—I uh, it's I always kind of describe it a little bit like a LeBron light. Like, he's not as good a scorer as LeBron— but he does a little bit of a similar thing where he impacts so many different areas of the game and also understands the moments that he needs to like step up, if you will, or like take, take everything to another level, for example, like in the NBA Finals. So like I alluded to at the start for this uh, subsection, the question becomes is, could Jimmy Butler win the MVP this year? And this is still more so just like fun thing to talk about early on in the season because but so much that could still happen going on. But at this level, Jimmy Butler would, would at least absolutely have a good case for receiving votes for MVP, potentially even winning it. Because so far, Miami looks like a defensive juggernaut. Their offense is starting to come together, and Jimmy Butler is absolutely at the core of it. He's the best player on the te- on a team that looks like it could at the very least be a top four seed in the East, which is about kind of the criteria to to kind of be in consideration be the best player on one of those teams where like very clearly you are the kind of like the fulcrum around which everything operates, which he did on both ends of the floor for Miami. And he's putting up the accompanying stats to go with it. Like twenty five points per game is a lot, especially when you combine that with probably all NBA defense as well. It so early is the only problem. However, it's fun, so that's why we do it. But, yeah, overall, Miami looking pretty solid um, through the first two weeks of the season. And a lot of that kind of came down to uh, what I would kind of sum up as players making their opening arguments for respective awards. Bam for Defensive Player of the Year, Tyler Hero for Sixth Man, and Jimmy Butler for MVP. And with that, let's close just looking at Miami's future schedule for the next week. Uh, So, admittedly, this podcast will come out a little bit before... The game tonight against the Mavericks. I unfortunately was a little bit um, sick on Monday, which is when I had planned to record. But uh, enough about me. So yeah, the Mavericks—they are off to a good start. They're four and two right now. However, there are some serious concerns about that record, given that like those wins have been over um, the Raptors, the Rockets, the Spurs, and the Kings. were like the Raptors, I would put them at like a play-in level team. The Rockets are definitely rebuilding. The Spurs might be a play-in team, and the Kings might be a play-in team. So that's not, like, the wins aren't really that good. And then their two losses specifically, they just got absolutely blown out by both the Atlanta Hawks and Denver Nuggets, who I profiled both as, um, like, legitimate playoff teams this year, not even in the play-in. So it kind of goes to show that even with a 4-2 record, because it's so so early in the season, uh, even a positive record like that I don't think they really look as good as the record would indicate. I haven't gotten to watch a lot of Mavericks games, unfortunately, but based off of just some some stuff I went just like, kind of scouting around, it looks like their defense has been pretty good, but their offense has been terrible, which plays right into Miami as a defense first team. So even though it's at the Mavs, I pretty much expect this to be a solid win. Like I would somewhat be surprised if they lose unless this one guy named Luka Doncic just goes completely off. Really, I think that's just kind of the game plan for Miami. Go in, try to keep Doncic from going off, and make the other players beat you because they can't, because your defense is really good. Even with that, though, I would not be surprised if Doncic just goes absurdly off, and there's just nothing Miami can do. So I was going to say, like, solid win, but I don't think this would be, like, an easy win, per se. After the Mavs, the Heat will host the Boston Celtics on Thursday. Uh, this is a Celtics team that is going through a really rough 2-5 and five start. Their only impressive win of the two was really one against the Hornets, and they've had some losses too, the Raptors, the Wizards, and then they were absolutely stomped by the Bulls last night. So this team, I, I originally projected them to be uh, kind of like right on the bubble between a playoff and a play-in team, so about the 6th or 7th seed. And yeah, they haven't. they don't even look like they're living up to that right now. Uh, There definitely seems to be some discontention, especially after the blowout last night. Uh, I know Marcus Smart called out the stars of the team, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, for not passing the ball, which there's definitely an argument that could be made about that. Regardless, though, uh, this does seem like a team that might be in some early season disarray, which, yeah, take advantage of that. Rack up some early season wins as as much as you can. Uh, They are going on a small road trip first they're going to go to the magic on wednesday and then they'll come to the heat on thursday so we'll have them on a the second out of a back-to-back too and if i were the celtics looking at that i would probably go okay let's really capitalize and make sure we get that magic win and maybe we can like rest a little bit um that thursday game against the heat because yeah you wouldn't want to do the opposite where like you fluff around with the magic game lose that and then have to go into miami on the second night and yeah, that would just be really tough and that could result in a no two, which then worsens the hole and causes more discontention. The magic is a really good game for them to try to focus their effort on, to at least try to get back on track and then maybe just focus on being competitive at least or at least looking like it against Miami. Regardless though, because it's on second night of a back to back and some of the turmoil for the Celtics, I still put this in like the solid win category for Miami, like even more so than the Mavs game later tonight. Yeah, really with the Celtics, kind of like the Mavs, you just really got to focus on good team defense against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I mean, there's kind of a reason why Marcus smart has been calling them out a little bit. Then that's a wrap, and that will lead then into Miami's last game for this week. They'll host the Utah Jazz on Saturday. This one is, I would say, the test for Miami this week. So far, the Jazz are 5-1. and one. They're off to a great start, as they usually tend to do, just kind of picking up where they left off last year as a great regular season team. Uh, they have some quality wins. They beat the Nuggets as a host. And really, the only loss that they've had was to a Bulls team that does look legit. We will be catching them in the middle of an East Road trip. They first have, uh, they're hosting the Kings today and then they go on a little East Road trip where they'll be at Atlanta Thursday, have Friday off, so they'll come and rested for the Heat on Saturday and then the Magic on Sunday. However, with the rest and the Jazz wanting to show that they're still a really good team, which yeah, we know they're a good regular season team. Nobody's really debating it at that point. It's the the playoffs part that is the debate. But point is the Jazz feel like they have something to prove and I would, def I still definitely have them as a legitimate playoff team in the West, if not one of the top seeds. just I do think what they have works in the regular season. And yeah, that's just going to make them a really tough opponent, even though they're coming into Miami. That home court advantage is why I do think this is kind of a 50-50 game, where if Miami loses, they're losing to a quality opponent. And if they win, they've beaten a quality opponent. And It's going to be interesting to see what Miami can do in terms of just, like, limiting Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. But also, uh, the Jazz, part of the reason for their success is that they're really deep in shooting with uh, players like Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, and uh, Jordan Clarkson. So, Miami will definitely have their a good defensive test against a really good three-point shooting team that has... A great scorer in Donovan Mitchell and a great role man and rebounder in Rudy Gobert. So, yeah, that is the big test for Miami this week. They're at home, and so, like a good team, I do hope that they can defend home court. With that, though, that'll be all for this week's episode. Be sure to follow the pod on Twitter at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Nation. Also, be sure to check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball on Twitter and otgbasketball.com. I'll be back next week, so until then, stay heatin' and have a good one.